0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The False Nines. This is the 51st episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, on this lovely night in Denver, how are you?
1: Footy, Zach.
0: It's back already. Footy. It's as if it never left. Uh, the, the football season... Will be beginning once again in just one week, uh, about ten days' time. Uh, the Premier League kicks off. Uh, yeah, it is bizarre, um, as though it, it it feels like Newcastle petered to a disappointing end of a season just just moments ago
1: yep exactly we got our safety and then we decided to mail it in for the next month
0: mm-hmm. two wins in our last 11 matches were delightful to see out of the magpies we'll go into <laughs> luckily we can go into the new season with rose-colored glasses and a uh, blind optimism that will perhaps uh, lock up safety by
1: by uh march this season so it's right we've made a marquee signing we've we've Got a new contract in in place for Matty Longstaff, which is like a new signing, so we'll be in in great shape come the new season.
0: Yeah, there's nothing better than a team who signs a player on a free to fill a position that has no gaps in it so far. Perhaps the (laughs) one position on the field that Newcastle did not need reinforcements at was center midfield, so... Um, yeah, it's like a new signing. The Ryan Fraser signing would be that would be a canny one. I will say that if if we can get Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson over the line, that's that's pretty solid. It'd be an
1: interesting one. Uh, I've been reading a lot about the way that he left Bournemouth and just the way that he kind of did the team dirty. Said he didn't want to get injured, didn't play out through the end of the season. Just that his attitude is pretty questionable. I'd be surprised if he came to this soon. I know we're getting into it early here, but. I don't, I don't see Fraser coming to the tune because I think Bruce is looking for a certain type of work ethic and attitude, and I don't think Fraser has it, despite mm. the talent.
0: Talking about a player who who certainly has that that graft, Matt Ritchie, uh, a player who always leaves every every ounce of effort on the pitch. It has been reported that if there is any deal to be done for Callum Wilson, obviously Newcastle balking at a potential thirty million pound asking price. Um, but but words are are being put out that Bournemouth would be willing to do a cash plus Ritchie deal. So um, I'd be interested to hear what do you what do you think about that? Losing a player that maybe that attitude that Steve Bruce seemingly wants to implement at the team next
1: season it checks a lot of boxes for me I think that when I think about Richie he's a player that when everybody is fit I don't quite know where he fits in Um, just with the current squad that we have he's been playing makeshift left back for a while now he's definitely somebody that's always wholly committed to the cause. That's the thing I'd miss most about Richie. But we have a lot of other players that that have a high level of commitment as well um, that I think that you know we could maybe afford to lose him in that respect. What I'd be surprised about, though, is if they're asking 30 million for Callum Wilson, we're not getting 10 for Richie. So realistically, you'd still be putting over 20 million into that signing, and then you've got nothing left as far as transfer kitty for the rest of the summer. That's the thing that hmm. really strikes me.
0: That's interesting that you said that, because I think 10 is pretty much, I think 10 is pretty much how Matt, how much Matt Richie would get. I think that 10 is a, a fair guess, and you also have to take into account, A, the Bournemouth connection for him uh, from, from years past, and then B, the fact that when you are a recently relegated club, um, you are going to have to be, flexible with the amount of money that you're willing to spend on players, especially players coming down from the top division. So I think that it's an interesting negotiation because both teams kind of hold the power in different elements of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Matt Ritchie's in his thirties. I think he made that step down to the championship previously with Newcastle. He actually signed from Premier league Bournemouth at the time to Mm -hmm. go to Newcastle who were in the championship to play under Rafa. So, I mean, he's clearly shown that he's willing to do that. I think it would be a great signing for them. It would give them some grit in the championship. Um, and obviously we need a striker that can score goals. Question is, can he stay healthy? We have that problem with all of our strikers right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And something that we talked about on uh, the last episode and the one before and actually uh plug, but that's something I wrote up in an article that I did for CHN on what striker or what player from each relegated club would be the best one to sign, and I actually did not pick Callum Wilson, largely because of his injury history. So Um, Yeah, a lot of interesting things happening for Newcastle in the last few weeks of the transfer window. Important to remember that the transfer window for the first time ever will be going into the Premier League season, transfer window going into October and the season starting just a week and a half from now. So we'll see if, you know, if there are these kind of late in the game plays for Newcastle. Obviously, um, left back still a massive gap on the team. Even if we sign Wilson, I'm not terribly confident if we don't put anybody on that side of the the defense so we will see what happens adam
1: we sure will we sure will i'm really interested just to kind of wrap up what you were saying about the transfer window i'm really really interested because this is the first time in a while that there's the potential for panic buys to happen uh, <laughs> we haven't had that for a few years mm-hmm. so we can essentially get almost a month into the season see how teams immediately perform and see like oh my god am i going to spend 50 million on this player that i wouldn't otherwise have purchased because i've shit the bed in the first two weeks
0: yeah no that that is a really good point it does kind of feel like january come early with the panic buys but um i think it i think it'll be interesting to see how that's taken by premier league clubs and if you know if there's a positive feedback the potential of them implementing it going forward
1: cool all right well we got a pretty awesome little list of things we're going to talk about here today. Zach, do you want to kind of give us a quick overview and we can get right into it?
0: Yeah, so we are going to be moving away from England for the uh, beginning section of the podcast. We'll be wrapping up and reviewing the Europa and Champions League finals that happened uh, just about a week and a half, two weeks ago at this point, time of our recording. So talking about both those matches, going back to England for the Community Shield that happened just this past weekend, the first match between two English football clubs to kick off the new season. Uh, and then a commercial break, we'll be talking about transfer news, a lot more transfer news than we had last time. So that will be a chock full section. And then we'll make some predictions for the 2020-2021 season. So this is something that um, I suppose is now the third instance of uh, the false nads covering preseason predictions. We'll be going through a lot of the more traditional predictions, Champions uh, Champions League, uh, some other things of that note. And then we'll be getting a bit more unorthodox. With the latter categories, so very interested to see what you have to say for those today, Adam. And then, of course, uh, I need not say it, but we'll wrap up with 10 and 90. So, uh, without any further ado, we can hop right into the European finals that were played two weeks ago, and we'll start out with the Europa League final, uh, Adam. What a match! Pretty much everything you could have asked for in a uh, in a cup final.
1: Yeah, fantastic game. Um, Goals from the offset, um, plenty of them. Five goals shared amongst the two teams. And no shock, really, to anybody that's ever watched Europa League or UEFA Cup before, Sevilla eking out the win for their sixth title in the UEFA Cup slash Europa League. They really, really know how to win that tournament, don't they, Zach?
0: It is actually remarkable. Um, And I think you correctly predicted this one, if I remember, uh, astutely. Uh, You're right, Sevilla just knows how to get it across the line. And uh, as I mentioned in our preview of this match, I was really interested to see it. It was two former national team managers going up against one another, Antonio Conte against uh, Julian Lopineggi. And I, I thought that um, yeah, truly you couldn't have asked for a better match from a neutral point of view. Uh, on, on my personal kind of ties to this one, I had a number of bets in play for the Europa League final. The first was that Uh, Romelu Lukaku would score a goal And the second was that over Three and a half goals would be scored In the game, and I was happy to say That within 25 minutes of this match Starting, both of those bets Had hit, so at that (laughs) point I put my feet up and enjoyed the rest Uh, But Lukaku starting off With um, just what has Become kind of his trademark Bullying a defender off the ball Getting taken down for a penalty And slotting that away, and then from there All hell completely broke loose
1: yeah, I I just want to take a moment to pause and say I wonder if our listeners think that you will mention your betting situation more or less in this upcoming season than I will mention my fantasy football team. I'm not sure who's gonna come out on top there, but I'm, we're about to start a fantasy football up again, bud. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty tight. I'm gonna gonna be mentioning some of my uh, keen eye signings for my fantasy team here in the near future.
0: Alrighty, (laughs) that's good to know. I like that aside. Um, But yeah, back back to the Europa League final. It it was this back-and-forth match. It was Lukaku getting the first goal and opening the scoring. Uh, Sevilla drawing level in the 10th minute. Um, And then from there, goal after goal, it was 2-2 at halftime um, until... Romelu Lukaku, uh, hero turned zero in that second half, Um, a bicycle kicked attempt that was clearly not going to go on target, hitting off Lukaku's leg, bouncing in for a goal, and what ended up being the the final goal of the match to give Sevilla that 3-2 Victory, um, But was what was really, I think, from a Newcastle point of view, the focal point of everything that was happening was the man-of-the-match performance of one former Magpie striker, Luke de Jong.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. He, uh, he <laughs> Cash reminds back to when he played for the tune Came in in a January transfer window on loan, played 12 games, scored zero goals, looked like he could not hit a cow's ass with a banjo. Um, no good, Luke de Jong. Two goals in the first half of a Europa League final against Inter Milan made it look easy. Just hanging in the air. Just so good in the air as well. Just looked really impressive. Just beating them to the ball pretty much through that entire game. And man of the match performance from a player that could not cut it at Newcastle. So kudos to him. He played he played really, really well in there. And Sevilla just keeps finding these players. And they finding a way to make them fit. And... Um, as, as we said just previously, finding a way to win the tournament too.
0: Yeah, I mean, on, on De Jong, I think that the talent has always been there. And I, I would beg the question, was it that he was not good enough to play at Newcastle or was that Newcastle was not the proper team for him to be at at the moment? And I would... Pretty much always with Newcastle, guessed the latter in the sense of a him being implemented on a system that did not really utilize his talents, namely his talents in the air as the main focal point. If I remember correctly, deyoung was more being used as a hold-up striker, and I think that that was done p- pretty much entirely because of his height, which is just an absurd notion for any intelligent um, football tactician to think about. You can't just say okay he's a tall player he can hold up the play and I think that that's what happened with the is he's not you know he's not the Andy Carroll he's certainly not the Romelu Lukaku who uh can can be good in the air and also be good on the ground and so um yeah I I he was one of those players that I always had a feeling was going to be better than he looked at Newcastle and boy did he put that on display in the Europa League final
1: Yeah, credit to him. So Sevilla coming out and topping that one 3-2 and celebrating their victory, Zach, by re-signing Rakitic from Barca a couple days ago. So nice signing for them. Obviously, he's in his early 30s now. He's getting on a little bit, but he's a former Sevilla player coming back to his old club after a spell at Barcelona and I think he'll do a good job for them there in La Liga
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a really good signing for them as you said there is that historical connection and I think the Rakitic is still one of the best players in the league uh, at that central kind of box-to-box midfield position so um, very very positive developments for the Spanish side Uh, with Inter though to, to touch on the losers of that match signing Antonio Conte to a extension. A lot of people thought that he was going to be on his way out regardless of the result of that match. Um, I did read that in the most dramatic and Italian of ways, the location in which this extension was signed was in a church where they had a conversation with Antonio Conte in a Catholic cathedral, and it was decided that he was going to stay on as manager. So you love to you love to just see uh, that that narrative that the Italians always are spinning uh, at play with the Inter Milan
1: manager. Well, if God told him he needed to sign that new contract, that he's clearly not going to turn God down, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and Inter is. You know, a team
1: that I think
0: will be building on the the incredibly positive season they had this season, and going into the Champions League next year, as we talked about, uh, that qualification not, was not reliant on the Europa League. So, um, definitely, definitely a club to keep your eye on going forward.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they'll perhaps meet each other again in the group stages of the Champions League. We'll we'll see. Mm-hmm.
0: So, from from the Europa League to the the Champions League final itself. Pretty much the opposite match uh, than the, the Europa <laughs> League one. I think that pretty much everybody expected uh, many goals as much as they would see in the Europa League final out of uh, PSG and Bayern Munich, two teams that were scoring for fun as of recently. But uh, quite the contrary. It was Bayern Munich squeaking out a 1-0 victory uh, on the uh, the head of Kingsley Coman, the former PSG Player, so uh, very interesting final, and I'll ask you this, Adam: did, did were you disappointed with the the quality of play, or were you more just disappointed with the fact that we didn't see a lot of goals out of it?
1: I think I watched as a neutral, and I was hoping for a lot of goals. I think so, probably the latter. Um, that you know, you'd seen the eight-two win by Bayern over Barcelona. You were expecting a goal fest. Be, you've got the attacking well, the whole attacking side that Bayern Munich has. And then you've got Neymar and you've got Mbappe on the other side of the field. You're expecting a lot of goals. So to see a 1-0 game was a surprise. I think, honestly, to see a 1-0 victory for Bayern Munich was not necessarily the surprise piece of that. We expected Bayern to win. They were heavy favorites in, in this match. But I think the uh, the real twist here was the the goal scorer in the Kingsley Coman was the uh, the man who the only change in the Bayern side came into the side and scored the winner and his background of course worth pointing out is that he's an ex Paris Saint-Germain youth player who was forced out of the club because of the in massive investment in the team. There just wasn't a place there for him with all the superstars that they were signing at PSG. So he leaves, finds a home at Bayern Munich, and comes back to haunt his own team. It's poetic. He couldn't really write that stuff, could he? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he grew, grew up uh, just blocks from the uh, the Stade Prince where PSG have called their home for many years. Uh, I agree. I think that, if, again, from a neutral point of view, you wanted to see those goals. You wanted to see... This kind of uh, you know going punch for punch round after round, um, and it really was not a game that was absent of chances for goals either. I thought that Neymar was pretty silent in that match, but when he did get on the ball, had a number of opportunities. Mbappe, I I think you could pretty confidently say should have put away one if not more goals in that game. But also credit to Manuel Neuer, uh, had a, a fantastic match. Was really making himself look large throughout the game and really kind of proved to everybody that he still most certainly is one of the I would say top 3 keepers in Europe.
1: Let me let me ask you this as far as Neymar is concerned. Do you feel like I won't say he's done at the top level because that's unfair. Do you feel like he is not the force that he once was at the top level in terms of teams will see his name on the on the opposition team sheet and not quite be as intimidated as they used to be by seeing Neymar playing against them?
0: That's an interesting way of putting it. I'm not sure if I would say that he alone is, you know, regressing in terms of his talent and his impact, but I think that what we saw for so many years at Barcelona um, was how he was able to be optimized as part of this system. The MSN uh, trio of Messi, Suarez, and Neymar was just lethal. And I think that Neymar being able to play off of Two other world-class players really maximize the effectiveness he had in matches. Now that's not to say that you know he's not playing with world-class players at PSG because uh, Mbappe is certainly a world-class player. I think that playing with Cavani for many years, another world-class player. But yeah. you did get a feeling that it, it does kind of ride on his shoulders at this point to to turn the game around and to to be that catalyst for for any sort of you know, positive momentum that PSG has. And I think that that's where he falls a bit flat at times is if he's able to be, I, I wouldn't say completely snuffed out because I don't think you can really do that with a player like Neymar. But if you're able to contain him effectively and he doesn't have those kind of options that are also
1: producing at the top level, that's where you're going to see issues. See, that's the difference for me, I think. You think about these two sides, right? Bayern Munich, quality throughout the team. Like, they've got, they've got superstars all across the team in pretty much every position. PSG, big money buys, right? They go for the Flair players. They go for the Mbappes, the Cavanis, the, um, the Neymars, like we just talked about. But if those players aren't performing, they don't have or if they're not having the best game, they're superstars. They don't have the talent across the rest of the team to necessarily carry them through a game like this when they're up against top-class opposition. And Bayern, I feel like, just they bring in Komen who hasn't been playing. They've got talent on the bench, in the side. That's the difference for me between these two teams right now. Bayern Munich has that depth. PSG certainly does not.
0: I think that's a very good way of putting it. I mean, you're right. The... You know the emphasis obviously would be on the goal for any one nil final, but the Bayern defense was pretty superb. Uh, I mentioned Neuer. I think that uh, Boateng for getting on in years was uh, very very influential in that side, um, and then Alfonso Davies. I cannot heap praise on that player enough. The 19 year old Canadian wing back just a man amongst boys at times it really can be that all-encompassing uh, fullback that, that the modern game demands. So I think that the future obviously is always bright for Bayern Munich, but it will be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years with PSG. And my following that game, my dad asked me an interesting question, which was if... You know PSG keeps walking to the league title and keeps losing in the Champions League. How long does Mbappe stay there? Because he's you know a young Frenchman playing for the the essentially the nation's club. But I mean, like if they keep fall- falling at that final hurdle, how long is enough? How long is that leash? What, what do you think? Do you think he would ever leave France?
1: Yeah, I absolutely think he will, and I think he should. Um, he would benefit from playing in a much higher quality league for me. Um, he's young enough that he's got plenty of career ahead that he could do that multiple times if he wanted to. He could come to England. He could come to Spain. Um, I could see him doing both of those things in his career. And I think that he just needs that higher kind of competition level. I would say every week, right? Because you've got you've got some top class teams in in France, but. The consistency throughout the league and the competition that you have in some of those other leagues like La Liga and the Premier League, he's just not going to get that week in, week out. Um, I think that he could really cut his teeth. Think about Thierry Henry, similar sort of player, winger turned striker, um, that came to Arsenal and you know was a club legend there. I could see Mbappe at Arsenal one day. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I like that chat. The French connection there, obviously. Henry and, and Mbappe do have slightly different games. I'd say Mbappe much more of a speed player, whereas Henry did have that physical prowess uh, that allowed him to kind of transition into more of a number nine role. But I, I do agree with you that playing that quality week in and week out is so important. I think Liga the, the La Liga team's really up their their level of play. I think you have a fairly comparable league in La Liga to the Premier League, where you have eight or nine teams that that can pretty much beat each other on on their day and so I think a a move to Real Madrid maybe even a move to Barcelona once they sort out everything that's going on at that club Uh, but I think that it will be interesting to see what Mbappe's first move is because I agree with you I think with how young that player is at the moment it's only a matter of time if PSG is not able to to win the Champions League, if PFG, PSG does win the Champions League, maybe you see a career uh, Paris Saint-Germain player out of Mbappe.
1: Potentially, I just think the it's it's you're cakewalking to all these trophies all the time, right? They could have won four trophies if they won the Champions League. It's just. For me, the competition still isn't there. I don't think he's a career PSG player. For me, we'll see.
0: Mm, I I think that's a that's a pretty pretty decent chat. I could agree with you. It depends on kind of his priorities uh, at the club. But back to Bayern, the the team that did lift the trophy at the end. of of the night um a stat that you pulled up that i thought was really interesting first ever side in champions league history to win all of their matches in the group stages and in the knockout stages without having to go to extra time just shows you how dominant and how kind of how they were able to put that vice grip on games and and just choke out their opponents and that pretty much sums up bayern munich for the last (laughs) 15 20 years
1: Yeah, you think about that. That's home and away in the group stages. That's home and away in the two-legged fixtures that we had, including beating Chelsea home and away in knockout stages. Um, And then coming through really against some some great teams, including Barcelona and then, of course, PSG in the final. So just an incredible performance from them. Um, Shout out to Hans-Dieter Flick as well, too. You know, relatively... Well, he is, he is new to coaching. I think all of his previous positions have been assistant coach positions, and this is his first time as a kind of the, the head honcho, if you will. And he comes in, and his first season gets the treble, the second-ever treble for Bayern Munich, the Bundesliga, the Champions League, and the DFB-Pokal, the German Cup. Um, so very, very impressed with, with his performance, and that team looks like they're going to be a force for many years to come.
0: Fiat, yeah, do you put, put your money right now on a team to win the Champions League next year? Do you see a repeat out of Bayern Munich?
1: uh I could, it's very likely I think at the moment you, Barcelona in disarray Real Madrid Zidane's overrated um <laughs> sorry I'm a Gareth Bale fan <laughs> listeners <laughs> Liverpool I think are probably the biggest threats to them to be to be perfectly honest Liverpool just has to figure that out um they got found out by Atletico last season so but on their day I feel like Liverpool could go toe-to-toe with Bayern, I think they're the biggest threats.
0: Yeah, a a quick shout out for, for post-game celebrations, Bayern Munich, as per usual, kind of keeping it low-key and, and reserved on the field, but uh, did you see the the picture that Robert Lewandowski posted on Instagram the morning after the Champions League final? I missed that. Uh, it was Lewandowski lying in his bed uh, with this kind of uh, Cheshire cat grin on his face uh, and his arm wrapped around the Champions League trophy. And the the caption on the photo was, uh, (laughs) was ask me about last night. (laughs) 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 It was was just a classy, classy uh, post by Belowandowski, a man who I think is going to be robbed of the fact that they're not doing a Ballon d'Or this year because I think he would be a runaway winner of that award.
1: Yeah, I think I can 100% agree with you on that. He had a tremendous season. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so the the European finals concluded. We will obviously be touching upon both the Europa and the Champions League in just weeks' time when the uh, competitions restart for the 2020-2021 season. But starting this season off in England, we have a match that has been played between Liverpool and Arsenal, another match that people might have thought might have been a bit more high-scoring, but this one ending 1-1 with Arsenal winning on Penalties. What was interesting here is that Liverpool did play what looked like their their first team side. Um, what was your assessment of the match in this one? Did you think that Liverpool uh, was kind of, you know, putting a right foot forward to defend their cha- uh, Premier League title?
1: I mean, with the team selection, you'd have to say yes, right? They, they came in and they, they put all their starters out there. It's the team that we saw many times in the Premier League last season. So... Uh, they came in and just like they did last year, they drew in regulation and then they went to penalties and lost on penalties. So two seasons in a row now that they've they've done so. Just to give a quick game recap, Aubameyang opened the scoring for them in the first half. Minamino actually came on in the second half and scored his first goal for Liverpool to tie it up. Um, there were a couple of substitutions that were made in advance of penalties, including Ryan Brewster brought on for Liverpool expert penalty taker Um, he's actually the only person that missed a penalty in them losing 5-4 and the winning penalty of course scored by Captain Fantastic still at Arsenal Zach Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang yeah I think Arsenal's
0: signing of the summer would be re-signing Aubameyang to to a contract extension and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any Arsenal fan who feels otherwise
1: it's looking more and more likely that that will happen now. I made this shout, um, long-term listener of the pod, Dane, uh, Arsenal fan. We are talking about Aubameyang the other day, and my, my prediction was Aubameyang will be that panic buy from a team that kind of blows it early on in the season. I f- can see him going to Europe early on in the season. Maybe it's Barca, maybe it's Real Madrid. Doesn't have a strong start. To the campaign, and in comes Mr. Aubameyang helps him out in the Champions League.
0: There is a zero percent chance that once the season starts, if Pierre Emerick Aubameyang is still at Arsenal, that they would even consider a bid for him after after <laughs> the season does begun. I don't think I don't think you could pry him away from. Uh, from Arsenal for pretty much any amount of money, but that being said, if 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 Barcelona has a incoming windfall of seven hundred million pounds for Lionel Messi, then you know
1: maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll buy Aubameyang immediately. Let me ask you this: Zach. If if Aubameyang were to go to any other Premier League club, who do you think the most likely candidate would be? Hmm.
0: It's a tough question to answer. Most likely. Most likely. Liverpool wouldn't need him, I don't think. Maybe...
1: <sighs>
0: I like Manchester City for that, Chad, because I still don't believe that Gabriel Jesus is a world world-class striker so i think that manchester yep. city is a team that obviously has the money to spare uh or what what, what about chelsea <laughs> they just keep buying more attacking no. players
1: <laughs> too, too many strikers there now yeah i could could have seen that if they hadn't made the signings that they they had so far this summer but the other one i was thinking about oh it would be it would be awful it would be judas level move spurs. Go to spurs imagine kane and obama up top Oof.
0: Yeah, I mean that's not a bad shout. I think that Harry Kane's career has been pretty much made around being the sole striker, so I don't see that happening necessarily. But I do, I love the, uh, I love the dark twisted fantasy that that that, uh, that builds <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's a good for Arsenal. Arsenal, the the king of domestic trophies. So they have two in the last month and a half uh, with the FA Cup and. The, uh, and the Community Shield, and we'll see if they can build on last season's kind of you know positive end-to-the-year performance.
1: Yeah, another shout-out for Mikel Arteta. Just continues to impress and get the job done. So uh, really, really impressive. Just one final thought on Liverpool, Zach. They, they had this kind of blip on the radar last season in this same trophy where they lost on penalties. They won the Premier League last season after having done so. Do you think there's the potential for a second season hangover now for Liverpool having won it last year?
0: I I couldn't with a confident mind say that I doubt that Liverpool can make a run at the title again. I think that that is a team on, you know, d- despite this loss on fantastic form and a team brimming brimming with confidence. Um, and then if they if they sign Thiago from Bayern Munich then it's it's game over in my mind.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hasn't been officially announced yet, but lots of strong rumors about that right now. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will uh, continue with our chat about England. We'll talk transfer news and then make predictions for the upcoming season. So stay locked.
1: All right. Welcome back to the False 9. Zach, we're going to get into some transfer news now. You're pretty excited to hear about all these players that other sides have signed and Newcastle haven't?
0: Yes, of course, there's nothing I would rather talk about than our ineptitudes in the transfer window.
1: Well, there's plenty of them, so we'll get started with Chelsea. Uh, As we know, we've we've had some high-profile signings we mentioned on our last pod, but they've been busy in the transfer market again, with an emphasis on their defense this time. A couple signings since we last spoke, Zach, or three signings in total, I should say. Thiago Silva has come in from PSG on a free transfer to bolster the backline. Young French player Malang Sarr has come in from Nice on a free transfer, also. So doing some good free transfer business there, Chelsea. And then they put their hand in their pocket, certainly for Ben Chilwell, um, who they signed as a left back option from Leicester for 50 million. What are your thoughts on Chelsea's activity in the transfer market in general so far this transfer window?
0: I mean, I think that obviously you, you have to see how it pans out before uh, before really, really making concrete judgments. But in terms of pre-season judgments of summer transfer windows, I think that this has to be one of the greatest summer transfer windows I think I've ever seen a team have, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the signings up top of Werner, Zayek. Uh, Havertz, now that that's official, are all world-class, or not world-class maybe, but all, you know, tip-top tier A players. And now to get Thiago Silva, Saar, who, as you said, has been a promising youngster at Nice, and then Chilwell, who is one of the top left-backs in the league and one of the, um, you know, a candidate for the England left-back role in the upcoming Euros, just really really great job Roman Abramovich never somebody shy to to invest in his team and he's showing it now I think that the one question there is Silva with the age 36 years old now um, you know how long can he keep it up at the top level but as Gus told us in a a discussion you and I were having with him off air uh, the man still put uh, Robert Lewandowski essentially in his pocket for the majority of the Champions League finals so um, yep. definitely definitely a positive uh, last few weeks for Chelsea football. Club,
1: yeah, I'd love to see Silva be used as somewhat of maybe a player coach. Maybe they kind of try and get something in his contract to keep him on after he's done there. Because I think I've said this before, we said it over that same text message conversation. I feel like Lampard is not a very defensive minded coach. Um, and to have somebody who obviously has had such a great career come in and then come in and take some of that coaching pressure off of him from a defensive standpoint would be. Very much appreciate Chelsea. But again, echoing your sentiments, <laughs> Chelsea have been the side that have made a statement in this summer's transfer window and, and what a statement they've made. So on to Spurs, um, just the one signing for them. Could this signal the exit of Serge Arieh? We've seen Matt Doherty come in from Wolves at right back. Um, undisclosed fee, rumors it's around 18 million. Seems like a bargain deal to me.
0: Yeah, I was absolutely blown out of the water, surprised when I saw that that was how low the price was supposedly for Doherty. I think that this actually might be the single best signing that a team has made in the transfer window. Maybe we'll say other than Chelsea signing Chilwell or Timo Werner, I think that that was probably up there as well. But I think that Doherty is an amazing signing for Spurs. Serge Aurier was, I think, by all regards, the worst player in that Spurs starting lineup towards the end of the season and immediately making an upgrade. Doherty actually, I read this recently, uh, other than Trent Alexander-Arnold, he was the only defender to lead or to be in the top Uh, 10 for assists for the last two seasons in the Premier League. So uh, I think just a fantastic signing, filling in a gap that had been um, long overdue for Spurs. And I think I, I would be very excited if I was a Spurs fan based on that signing. And then also Hoiberg, who we talked about last week, a player that can also certainly, certainly play a role in that Spurs midfield.
1: Yep, absolutely. Some good astute signings from Mourinho putting his stamp on the team. On to Manchester United. An interesting one, this one. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Donny van de Beek, a central midfielder. Surely they're pretty stacked in that area. Where does, where does van de Beek fit in?
0: Well, it makes you ask the question, how many days does Paul Pogba still have at Manchester United? Is you know, Are there some talks going on behind the scenes of him to leave? I don't know where it would be, too. But uh, I think Van de Beek, in, in a very Chelsea-like fashion, Manchester United kind of going for you know the best available, maybe rather than the player that best fits their needs at the moment. Because as you said... Towards the end of that season, it seemed like Manchester United's attack was the only thing they didn't have to worry about. Uh, So it it will be interesting to see. You'd have to assume he'll start maybe in that 10 role right behind uh, Martial, uh, Bruno Fernandes, and Rashford maybe on the wings. But definitely an embarrassment of uh, riches for Manchester United in that attacking third.
1: Yeah, I could actually see Van de Beek probably sitting a little deeper with Pogba and then maybe going with that 4-2-3-1 formation. So Martial up top, then Fernandez, Rashford, and Greenwood in behind and having the two of Pogba and Van de Beek kind of sitting in there and maybe Pogba playing a little bit deeper. So it would be interesting to see where he slots in, but if you, if you want to get them all in the same team, it's going to be these are good problems to have, right? Jesse Lingard's now available, it sounds like, so maybe Newcastle can get in the market for him. It sure
0: as shit, hope not. Jesse <laughs> Lingard is one of the worst players in the Premier League, and I will defend that theory until the end of my days. But uh, it, it is, from more of a spectator and entertainment point of view, it's exciting to see uh, Chelsea and Manchester United really trying to bolster their sides and um, you know making for what would hopefully be at least some sort of competitive top four in this upcoming season.
1: Yep. One one last note on Manchester United. Dean Henderson obviously finished his loan at Sheffield United. Came back to Manchester United. Uh, they told him he's not going anywhere this season, and in fact, has signed a new long-term deal with the club. So, gonna be we've talked about this on the last pod too. Gonna be an interesting start to the year. A lot of pressure on De Gea to perform well, or his his role might be in jeopardy
0: yeah, who knows if he has the starting role in the first match of the season? I Olegona Selshire still has not made a concrete statement about who his number one between the sticks will be in their first match and obviously coming off that season that Henderson had you'd, you'd have to be expecting him to be kind of chomping at the bit for that uh, that Manchester United first team spot so I, I agree I think that's one of the more interesting kind of subplots as we approach this upcoming season but another interesting plot in, in another interesting thing that we're seeing out of uh, London side in Arsenal is again bolstering that back line so Arsenal filling in uh, some center back needs, buying Gabriel from Lille uh, for about 30 million pounds. That was reported today, the day of our recording. Uh, What do you know about Gabriel? How do you think he's going to fit into that Arsenal
1: defense that has been a bit patchwork for the last year or so? I'll be honest. um, I didn't know a lot about um, Gabriel, and he is somebody that looked very, very impressive to me. And just looking at some footage, he's 22. He's Brazilian. um, He's... Looks very, very competent, comfortable with both feet, um, stands his ground well, stands up, doesn't dive into challenges, commits when he needs to, looks like a tried and tested center back way with experience way beyond his 22 years, just in the way that he plays. Um, I think he's going to be a great fit at Arsenal, and I hope to God that means that David Luiz is kept out of the side and not playing alongside David Luiz in their lineup this season.
0: Why, don't, why why are you throwing so much hate Davin Luiz's way? He, I think Davin Luiz had a really good uh, FA Cup final. I he had a, dec- he had a decent FA Cup final.
1: You're, you're only a convert because he convinced you with his words in the media.
0: Yeah, I really did like that. That was that was good. But you're right. One interview does not make a man. Um, He's still uh, a terrible defender. (laughs) uh, That's uh, yeah. That that's not the worst comment I've ever heard in my entire life. But. Yeah, I think that Arsenal again. There, it is a project that Mikel Arteta is doing, and I think that he'll be given a lot of time to build that project, being this young and new manager. And we'll have to see, uh, you know, if they can keep Aubameyang and if Gabriel fits it well to the defense. Could they be challenging for a top four spot? Maybe. You know, maybe
1: maybe they can be pushing on a little bit more. I don't see why not. I think the key to that's going to be Aubameyang, though, as we as we mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so On to Palace, Um, we have um, an exciting young signing here. Probably not a lot of people have heard of this player. Ebereki Ezi, central attacking midfielder from QPR. $20 Big outlay for Palace. They're not notoriously big spenders, but 22-year-old English prospect. Scored 14 goals in 46 games in the championship. 14 and 46 for an attacking midfielder. Pretty good return, so I'm sure... That they are probably doing this with an eye to potentially losing a fairly big name attacking central midfielder maybe before the windows close that We'll have
0: to see. I mean, I, I only assume that you are alluding to Wilfred Zaha, who I would, I don't know if I would describe him as a central attacking midfielder, but certainly an attacking midfielder on, winger, on yeah. some respect, a winger. But yeah. you're right. It is interesting with QPR, or excuse me, with Crystal Palace, um, a team that does not splash a ton of money. And when they have in the last few years, it's been pretty much leaving them empty handed with, with poor buys. Uh, and I think that. Uh, you always have to ask questions of a player being bought from a uh, lower level side and especially uh, a player being bought uh, domestically because as we see English purchases for English players is always going to be somewhat inflated. So 20 million for a player coming out of England might cost you, I don't know, uh, 12 to 14 million for the same quality player coming out of another country. But I do think it is good to see that Crystal Palace will be, you know, trying to restructure that team. The bigger issue with them is they still have a lot, a lot, a lot of defensive deficiencies that they're going to have to figure out for this upcoming
1: season. Yep, it's going to be an interesting one for Palace. I think this could be a make or break season for them. On to a team who've really impressed in the transfer market um, for for especially for Premier League newcomer Leeds United. Back in the Premier League after a long absence, they've put their hand in their pocket this week quite considerably. First player, Rodrigo, centre forward from Valencia. They broke their transfer record for 27 million to bring in Rodrigo. He's 29, 59 goals in 220 games for Valencia, his previous club. Uh, and then the other signing, Robin Koch. Is that Koch, Koch, Cook? I don't know, whatever his name is. He's a center back from Freiburg. Um, Undisclosed amount, but that's north of 10 million being reported. 24 year old German international player. Um, So somebody who sounds like it's pretty impressive that Leeds were able to get him as newcomers to the Premier League. Putting their hand in their pocket to the tune of almost 40 million on two players. What do you think about Leeds' chances this season, Zach?
0: probably a lot better than Newcastle United at the moment <laughs> just think about that those two
1: players together same as Joel Linton
0: it makes me it makes me pretty depressed to to read about the moves that Leeds are making to be honest with you I mean Rodrigo is a an established established player who really you know was one of the at, at on his day one of the best center forwards in La Liga when he was playing for Valencia and it just it's really upsetting to, to see Newcastle, a team that has uh, three fit strikers with six Premier League goals last season between them, uh, you know, just trying to trying to scrap up a player plus cash deal for, for Callum Wilson that might not go through and leads on the meanwhile is, you know, structuring themselves... And I would say this is the key difference in my mind. Leeds is structuring themselves to stay in the Premier League, not to survive one more season. And that is what really I think is the differentiating point, is Newcastle is playing for one season in the future, whereas Leeds is buying players who they think will keep them as a steady runner in the Premier League for years to come.
1: right the other the other thing i would say is leeds have a top coach in marcelo bielsa who can attract the big names we could do that too when we had rafa benitez at the helm Mm -hmm. that's the difficulty now with steve bruce at the helm it's hard to really bring in those big names so let's pivot to newcastle as we're as we're chatting about them right now the signing that we've brought in as we mentioned previously jeff hendrick central midfielder from burnley on a free transfer joking aside probably not a position that we needed to strengthen but Hendrick's a tidy player he's got 50 plus caps for the republic of ireland burnley did not want him to leave they tried to offer him a new deal he did not want to sign that new deal contract expired and here he is at the tune what what do you think overall of Hendrick the player
0: Hendrick, the player, as you said, a tidy player. I think that's a good way of describing him. He's, he's a player who will uh, hopefully give you that kind of Richie-esque grit and and is a player that will never shy away from a challenge. And, you know, a couple of years ago was probably in the conversation as a top, maybe top 15 or so center midfielder in the Premier League, so I think that it is a good buy, but again it with a week and a half left until the season begins not terribly inspiring to see Newcastle not spend a cent yet um, and I, I guess we've known our transfer budget would be minimal for a while but again, bigger needs, bigger holes to fill at Newcastle United than center defensive midfield.
1: It's gone from minimal to nominal, Zach yeah, That's yeah, as
0: I I would say thirty million today is is almost nothing in the Premier League as as we've just discussed with the amount that's being spent on higher level transfers so far
1: in the in the last couple of weeks. True that. True that. Okay, so two two teams I want to kind of really stop on briefly. First one is Brighton, really an, a departure here. Sad to see Aaron Moy. Leave the Premier League. He went out to play in China for Shanghai. Shanghai SIPG, to be precise. And then the last team, Sheffield United, as we mentioned, Dean Henderson going back to Manchester United. They've brought in Aaron Ramsdale from Bournemouth for $18.5 million. He's 22 years old, potential future English international. Left Sheffield United three and a half years ago. Now is returning to the club. Um, I actually am a really big fan of this move for Sheffield United. I think it'll be a top signing for them.
0: I don't particularly agree. I think that... I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like you said, he's a young keeper, but I did not think he was terribly impressive for Bournemouth last season. Bournemouth wasn't terribly impressive for itself, but uh, looking at his statistics, I... Saw that Aaron Ramsdale was in the lower third uh, in terms of keepers in the Premier League for save percentage. Uh, so that means shots on target and versus the amount that was saved. So we'll, we'll see if he's able to do it with a bit better of a defense in front of him. I think that's
1: much a, better you know, of a defense. Yeah. Much a, yeah,
0: better. You're right. A bit is a. A massive understatement much better of a defense but yeah we'll, we'll see what happens i i would i'm a little disappointed that they didn't splash a cash for a bit bigger name of the keeper but you never know they're taking a risk on a young player and uh, they could obviously be seeing something that i'm not
1: yep i think that's absolutely fair okay so that wraps up our transfer news for the last two weeks zach you want to kind of take us into our last section here before we hit the last commercial break
0: Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, it is now an annual tradition for us to do our pre-season predictions. So we, uh, as I alluded to earlier, we'll start with some more kind of traditional uh, picks. We'll go down the list, and as we go down, we'll, we'll get a bit more obscure and a bit more Um, kind of out of the box with the categories uh, on which we will be touching upon. So to start it off, I think the the most obvious question in the world when you're talking about preseason predictions is who will be hoisting the Premier League trophy presented by Barclays uh, at the end of next season? Adam Goffin, who's it going to be?
1: I think it's Liverpool again. I think they repeat. Um, I don't think they've necessarily added a lot of strength to that team, but I don't think they need to. They have a really good, settled team. I like that about them. Minamino has scored a goal, obviously, in the in the charity shield, the community shield this past weekend. So he's somebody that will come in and really strengthen that team, um, give them a little bit more depth. But they're going to be tough to catch. I think if anybody, based on the transfers that we just mentioned, Chelsea might be the most exciting prospect and potentially the, the closest team to, to catching them.
0: I would agree with that. I think that the only kind of step back that Liverpool took, although it was quite small, was losing Dejan Lovren in the summer uh, when he left for, for Roma. But I think that they are so settled at that back line and are able to replace him pretty easily.
1: Never been a Lovren fan. I think they've got the defense sorted out. Pretty much you could play anybody next to Van Dijk and, and they'd be fine. Um, but but I think the defense is, is pretty well settled at this point with that back four.
0: That's a fair point. Uh, so... Talking about the number four, then, to make a very smooth transition, Uh, the top four in the Premier League, obviously getting Champions League qualification. I'm curious, do you think we see a similar, the same, or a different top four in this upcoming year than we did
1: in the past season? I think we see the same teams in a different order. I think Chelsea take second, City take third, and United take fourth.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Interesting. I agree with that entirely.
1: Yeah, I think I if think... anybody makes a push, it... it's Arsenal. Arsenal. Arsenal, kind of close by in fifth there. Mhm.
0: Yeah, or maybe you know, maybe Leeds pulls a Sheffield United and pushes on the the Champions League qualification spots in their first year back into the Premier
1: League. Could be that with Robin Koch at the back, he's gonna exactly. he's gonna be stopping all the goals going in there. Zach, they've got a great yes. chance.
0: Excited to see it. Uh, okay, so from top of the table to the teams that will be uh, staring up at a uh, a depth into the into the second division come season end. Adam, it's tough for me to ask this, but who do you think goes down this season?
1: I think the two dead certs for me are West Brom and Fulham. I think those are two of the teams that will go down. I don't think Leeds will go down. I struggle with the third one. Newcastle is obviously a good candidate. The bookies' favorites, so I was looking into this, are actually West Brom, Fulham, and Villa I don't think Villa will go down I think Crystal Palace might go down I think West Brom, Fulham and Palace would be my three picks
0: mm, Okay, What? why Why Palace?
1: I just think they regressed second half of the season last year not super excited about their one signing I don't think it's going to be a massive difference maker for them they really are crying out for a goal scorer up top and they didn't sign one yet so maybe they, they will before October but just felt a little bit nervous with their performance second half of last season
0: yeah, I, I think that Villa is definitely a tempting one to, to put in that category, and I took that temptation. I don't think that Villa survives another season after the, the really, really horrid uh, second half of the year they had this past season. So I agree, West Brom, I, I see West Brom going down. Villa, and then Adam, it's a return of the tune Cynic. I think that Newcastle United will be relegated at the end of next season. Didn't
1: you pick that last season, Zach?
0: I don't think I did. I think I picked Newcastle in 17th uh, last season, so just survived. But I don't know. This has been, this is easily to me, the, the most uh, pessimistic I've been going into a season for Newcastle. I think we are a club in shambles at the moment.
1: I would not disagree with that whatsoever. Okay, on to Premier League top scorer. Who do you think takes home the Golden Boot this season?
0: Okay, so I put an asterisk on this one. I I have two answers for you. Uh, The first answer is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will be top scorer if he stays at Arsenal, uh, which is a bit of a cop-out. But if he does not stay at Arsenal, Timo Werner will lead the league in goals in his first season in the Premier League. That's a bold one. Okay, I I think playing atop that that Chelsea attack that looks like they could score every minute of every game on paper, uh, I think will do him well. He came off his best season of his career so far uh, at RB Leipzig, and like you said, Frank Lampard is an attacking-minded coach, so I would I would like to toss, I might toss a cheeky fiver, as they say, on Timo Werner
1: to, to be the golden boot winner this season. Second reference to a betting habit this podcast, Zach. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the goal here. I'm, I'm going to go for Harry Kane. For a top scorer this season, I feel like he had a strong back end of the year, uh, came back off an injury, wouldn't have played had it not been for the COVID break, but looked very, very sharp after um, the COVID break. So, Harry Kane, I think, is a player that Mourinho is going to be leaning on, and he's a natural born goal scorer for me. So, I think he might sneak it. 25 plus goals, I'm predicting, for Mr. Kane this year.
0: He's done it before, and he could most certainly do it again. I think that Harry Kane is always a, a fairly safe bet for for the uh, the golden boot. Neither of us said Jamie Vardy. The, the repeat is not in order
1: according to the false nines. He's not going to be having a party this season. That's right, Zach. All right, on to our next category, one to watch. Who's a player that you're tipping for great things, whether it be a new signing, whether it be an established signing, youngster, whoever it may be. Who's your one to watch next year? Hmm.
0: So so I kind of I, I may have kind of, you know, taken taken the fun out of this one with a bit of a, a praise sesh earlier on in the episode, but I, I want to turn it back again to Matt Dougherty going to Spurs. I think that he will be a perfect fit into that Spurs lineup, and I think that he could really, really have a, a career year at Tottenham, especially with a fairly defensive-minded coach in Jose Mourinho. I just feel like that is a Really great move, and I'm excited to see what he does in North London this upcoming season.
1: Nice. I actually went to Old Trafford for this one. Mason Greenwood, 18-year-old striker. I think he had a great end to the season. Great season in general. Scored 10 goals last season as a relative unknown going into the year. I'm tipping him to break 20 this season in what is a fearsome, fearsome front line. 20 goals for Mason Greenwood is going to be my prediction. I think he is a more natural finisher than Marcus Rashford, and I think he is more talented at 18 than Martial ever was. Um, Martial is obviously not not too old now, but it's taken Martial a while to settle into the league. Mason Greenwood has taken it by storm. I'm really, really excited to see what he does this year.
0: I wonder if that would make him the highest-scoring teenager in Premier League history in a single season.
1: I don't know. I'd like to see the Rooney stats. Rooney might be uh, up Rooney, there as well.
0: well or Ronaldo might be up there as well
1: Mm -hmm. Michael Owen another one for Liverpool
0: yeah fragile as glass Michael Owen uh (laughs) uh no okay but I do like that chat I think that's a that's a fun one and I think that he absolutely is primed for a big big repeat breakout season so from goal scorers to the the men who prevent the the balls from going in the net who do you think wins golden glove this season
1: I wanted to go outside of the box with this one but I didn't um so to speak Allison was the person that I picked for this Um, I just think that honestly it's not even about him as a goalkeeper I just think the defense is so good that half the job is done for him and I think he's a top keeper as well he's pretty reliable great defense in front of him Allison for me
0: yeah, I agree with that. I picked Allison as well. I just don't see any reason not to select him for for the Golden Glove this upcoming season. So yep. uh, we'll see. You know, if if Liverpool repeats as champions, you'd have to think there's a very high likelihood that that prediction will come true. Okay, so this is where we start. We're gonna start getting. A bit more outside the box, Adam, with our with our categories and our questions. First manager sacked, who will be losing their job come this fall
1: in the Premier league? Dean Smith. I think he was lucky to keep his job last year, and I think that he will continue to have problems in this new season, and I think the Villa board's patience will finally come to a tea prior to the end of this calendar year. That's very that's a very apt per prediction uh, and going with a club that,
0: as you mentioned, is one of the bookies' favorites to go down this season. So Dean Smith definitely likely. Unfortunately, English legend Roy Hodgson will be out of a job before Christmas. I think that Palace was one of the worst teams in the Premier League in the second half of last season. Uh, they're trending downward right now, and I just
1: I, I don't see there being much left in in old boy's tank. Yeah, I could 100% see that too. That was actually the other person that I was thinking about. I don't think Bruce will leave no matter how bad the form. I just think he's there forever. (laughs) And then I think about the other two teams that I was mentioning. West Brom, Fulham, Slavin Bilic, Scotty Parker. They're just, they're they're very well appreciated there, right? They're the same sort of manager um, at those two clubs as I feel like Norwich had last season um, that they didn't want to part ways with, right. That they just have a lot of stock in their in their managers there. So I think they could do poorly and still survive for, for at least until Christmas.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they could both get fired, but not, not the first to go. So I agree with that, that take right there.
1: Cool. All right. Well, you came up with this next (laughs) category, go for it. Present it to our listeners.
0: Okay, Adam. So we're really, we're really getting weird here. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, player of the season last season, largely on the back of his 20-assist season, the first time in uh, over 15 years that a player had 20 assists. How many assists will Kevin De Bruyne have this
1: season? I see a little bit of a regression for De Bruyne. I see it not being a terrible regression, still putting in 15 assists this year for me.
0: Mm, okay, I picked 17. I put it right in the middle of the 20 uh, and, and that 15 mark, but I agree, it, it would be tough to expect him to match that especially now that um you know sergio aguero is is kind of really really coming to the end of his days at
1: manchester city yep i agree all right so winner of the everton cup is our next category do you want to remind our viewers our listeners i should say what the everton cup is
0: so the everton cup uh, is the award that is arbitrarily given out to the team that finishes 8th in the Premier League every season, and the reason that this is labeled the Everton Cup is because the 8th place side uh, can not under any circumstances, whether it be uh, due to different Champions League qualifying teams winning domestic trophies or anything of the sort, 8th place can never win a European spot unless they themselves win a cup. So the reason that's called the Everton Cup is for the last 10 or so years, Everton always pretty much claims to be on the fringe of breaking out as a top six side and has truly never reached those heights. So Everton Cup, Adam, who will be winning the Everton Cup this upcoming season?
1: I went for a little bit of an outside bet on this one, and I'm going with Southampton. I think Hasenhutl had a great, great end to last year. Um, they've, They've kept Danny Ings. Danny Ings hasn't gone anywhere. I feel like that's a team on the up for me. Top half finish, eighth place for Southampton this season.
0: Okay. Okay, I would love that. I would love for Danny Youngs to keep up scoring at that clip that he was at last season. But, Adam, I, I had to go back to, to the easiest selection of them everton all and go with Everton for the
1: <laughs> Everton Cup. This Why not? Why not? It's, it's historically accurate.
0: I mean, Everton just signed James Rodriguez, so they're really just completely. Is that official yet? I don't think that's official yet, is it? Oh, I th- I think that is official as of this afternoon. Uh, but if not, uh, Everton on the on the verge of signing James Rodriguez. So he has a medical coming up, as does Allen from Napoli, another really, really impressive player. Uh, and Abel, uh, and, excuse me, Decore from uh, Watford apparently also coming in. So Everton doing what they do almost every two or three seasons, which is buying a lot of really good midfielders, and then somehow it will not pan out for them. Eighth place for Everton.
1: When you have a top-class manager like Ancelotti, top five in the world, you can attract the big names, and that's what they're doing. You know, It's the links, certainly, and the uh, the resume, the portfolio that Ancelotti has that's really bringing James Rodriguez to the Premier League, potentially. It's it's huge. Huge signing for Everton.
0: Yeah, so we'll see. Maybe, maybe they beat it. Maybe they get seventh.
1: Could be. Could be. But then they still wouldn't get into Europe, though, because that's just the Everton way. Most likely, that yep. is
0: true. Uh, okay, wrapping it up here. We have two more categories uh, to discuss. The first one: Who do you think uh, will be the most impactful summer signing? And obviously, the transfer window is still going on for uh, another month or so. But from what we've seen so far, who are you most excited about coming into the
1: Premier League? It's Jeff Hendrick, Zach. No, it's not. All right. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, I would say most excited about and maybe most, potentially most impactful, Van de Beek is a top-class player. I'm nervous about where he fits in more so than I am the talent that he has and the ability he has to make an impact. Uh, I'm really excited to see him play, and I think that he's going to be a huge addition for Manchester United. going to go with Van de Beek. Okay.
0: I like that. I, I was between van de beek or uh, timo werner and i went with werner as i said I'm, I'm putting very high expectations on him to be in the golden boot race uh and i i'm just excited to watch him week in and week out because mm-hmm. he was absolutely tearing it
1: up in the bundesliga last season yep yeah i think he's going to be a, a top class signing for chelsea okay so biggest summer signing disappointment i'll let you go first Aaron Ramsdale. I
0: again I'm now, oh. now we're kind of repeating things, but I just don't think Aaron Ramsdale is a very good keeper. I saw numerous mistakes, lapses of judgment for him, uh, in positioning and in just kind of general uh, awareness uh, at Bournemouth last season. Just maybe I was only maybe it was one of those cases where I was only watching the games that he played poorly, but uh, not very high expectations for me for Ramsdale. And I also kind of base that on the regression that they'll have from having Dean Henderson, who is arguably the best keeper in the Premier League outside of the top four last season, to uh, a keeper that I think will be fine, but will be maybe the most underwhelming of them all.
1: Yep. Okay, I, c- I could see that. Um. Oof. Uh, That that sucks. Okay, just one final thought on that. Over, (laughs) under, 45 goals. What would you take? Goals against for Sheffield United this season?
0: Over, under, 45. How much did they allow
1: last season? It was around, was it in the 30s? Not sure. I know that they were very, very tight at the back for a while, and then they kind of fell off a little bit, conceded three against Newcastle. (laughs) Yeah, that uh, is
0: that is true. Um, it's a it's a tough one for that because I have recently sung the praises of Chris Basham in our last uh, podcast. So, uh, the the center back for, uh, for, Sheffield United, obviously being one of the players that I mm-hmm. uh, most highly rate. So let's see. I would say, uh, it was over under. It was thirty nine.
1: Thirty nine last season for Sheffield United. Thirty for Thirty nine against.
0: I'll, I'll take the over there. I think that I think that Ramsdale is enough of a drop from Henderson.
1: Side bet on that one? I'll, t- I'll take the under on that. 44.5, I'll take the over. So you'll take 45 or more? Yes. Not that confident. Yeah, I'll take you on. That's fine. Okay. All right, there we go. Done.
0: There we go. The, the talks about betting has run rampant through the podcast. That, was,
1: that one was my fault, though. I'll assume responsibility there for that go. one. Uh, my biggest summer signing disappointment, I'll throw it out here. You sang his praises earlier on. I think Rodrigo is going to be a bust at Leeds this season. I think he's going to take time to adjust. He's not a prolific goal scorer. He's a consistent goal scorer, Mm -hmm. one in every three to four games. But he's stepping up a little bit in terms of quality, in terms of the Premier League. Better team around him at Valencia than he'll have at Leeds. Um, I I don't think that that guy breaks... I'd say he doesn't break 10 goals this season. and I'd be shocked if he got 15.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I think that a player coming into the Premier League, especially from La Liga, we've seen it time and time again, that the kind of more physical nature of the Premier League has caught a number of players by surprise. The, the one that might be most close to our hearts is IOZ Perez took a good two seasons, I would say, to really get used to the physical nature of the Premier League. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's a decent shout. And with a newly promoted side, you mm-hmm. never really know what to expect.
1: Yeah. I would add that I don't he might be the biggest summer signing disappointment for me, but I don't know that it will be entirely his fault.
0: <laughs> okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, the the predictions have been said. They will be written down, so we'll, we'll be able to recap this at the end of the season and see which one of us was horribly, horribly wrong about at least one of our predictions.
1: Probably going to be me, Zach. Probably going to be me. Uh... Oh, you're being
0: modest here uh, all right well uh, we will take another quick commercial break and then we will we will come back and wrap it up as always with 10 and 90 so be back in a moment all right we are back for 10 and 90 our last section on the 51st episode of the false nine so I think this week Adam why don't you go first okay? I can do that. Why don't you go first, yeah.
1: Well, I have a little bit of a theme this week for you, Zach, and it's something that we talked about in depth a little bit earlier on. Let me ask you this. How well do you know the charity or the community shield, would you say?
0: Probably not
1: well enough, from let's dive right <laughs> into it. All right, well, we'll start easy. In what year was the first ever charity shield contested? I'll give you five years either way. 1892. Not a good start, Zach. Not a good start. 1908 was the first time oh. it was contested. All right. Okay. Okay. A little easier one here for you. Who holds the record for the most Charity Shield overall wins, or Community Shield as well, with 21 total? Manchester United. They do. Very good. Very good. All right. When was the last time that Manchester United... Manchester City or Arsenal did not win the tournament. Ooh.
0: The the tournament or more more so the one off match, but yep. um Manchester City. Manchester United or
1: Arsenal. Two thousand eleven. Two thousand nine. Can you tell me who won it that year? Was it But it was some weird
0: random team. Or was it Chelsea? Was it Chelsea? It was
1: Chelsea. Very good. Chelsea in in 2009. Okay. Next question. Question number four. Have Newcastle ever won the charity or community shield? Nah, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Is incorrect. They have won it. They won it in its second year of existence back in 1909. Ooh, great year for the Toon. 111 years ago, Zach. Momentous day for Toon fans everywhere.
0: Who did we we beat? I don't even know. Oh, man. That's that. Come on. (laughs) I I, I didn't
1: do that much homework on that. I just thought it was funny that the one time we won it was over 100 years ago. All right. That is funny. I'm really proud of this last question. This is a barnstormer of a question for you. Who is the only club in the history of the tournament that can claim that they have won it without being Champions of England or FA Cup winners the previous year?
0: Whoa. (laughs) Oh, man. I have a lot of questions surrounding that question. Um, (laughs) Can you give me a hint? I have no idea.
1: It's a current
0: Premier League club. Was it... Was it West Ham? It
1: was not... It was well Brighton and Hove Albion. Okay, now explain this to me. In 1910. So historically, we a lot of the, the charity shields have been contested between the winners of the FA Cup the previous season and the winners of the league. And of course, if those same two teams are... Um, are the same teams like if Liverpool were to win the league and the FA Cup in the same season then the second place team in the Premier League would, would replace them that hasn't always been the case back in 1910 Zach the competition was contested between the Football League winners which were Aston Villa in 1909 and the Southern Football League winners which were Brighton the charity Shield win in 1910 remains Brighton's only domestic trophy in 120 years of existence
0: Wow, that's amazing! You, I, I understand why you were so excited about that one. That's a fantastic trivia piece.
1: Yeah, it's uh. So they've they've won, I think, playoffs. They've won second divisions, but they've never won any other tournaments except for this solitary tournament in 1910. It could always be worse, Zach. Fairs Cup in the 60s. Newcastle United glory days, my friend. Intertoto Cup.
0: Inter Toto, what was that? Two thousand eight, that we that we won the Inter Toto Cup. We were alive
1: for that one, bud. That's true.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The only trophy Newcastle's won that we've been alive for. That's brutal mm-hmm. to
1: say. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready for a Welsh question? Of course. All right, I want you to pronounce this Welsh word for me, Zach. It's S B I G O G L Y S. S B I G O G L Y S. Spigoshlish Close It's Spigoglis.
0: Oh, that was really close. Yeah. Okay.
1: Spigoglis is spinach. Mmm.
0: Okay. I have a I have a box of spinach in my refrigerator, so I like that one. There you go.
1: Popeye's best friend. That's true.
0: That is true. Uh, all right. Cool. Th- those were good ones. Those were fun. Um, so as per usual, not a very consistent theme for me today. Um, but let's start you off with a uh, hypothetical one. Um, Adam Goffin, do you think Newcastle United will score more or less goals than they did last season? What was the total last year? Is that? So, in the last season of the Premier League, Newcastle United finished the year with 38 goals scored. Less. Okay. Any, any guess as to what they will score? 36. 36. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is less. So, fair enough. Um all right, Adam, question number two, which keeper had the highest save percentage in the league last season? And again, a save percentage is out of all the shots on target that they faced, uh, what percentage of those did they save successfully? This is part of your research
1: you did on Aaron Ramsdale, isn't it? It is absolutely part of that research. <laughs> it's um, not him. It, it, it's there's not, one clue. That's, that's what, what I'm Ramsdale. not going to go for based on your <laughs> feedback. Uh I'm just going to throw it out there. Is it Martin Dubravka?
0: No, no. Dubravka was qu- quite high up on the clean sheets list, but fell off towards the end. It was actually Hugo Lloris had the highest save percentage in the Premier League.
1: Do you know what? I almost went him for him with Golden Glove, but I still think that there needs to be a couple more defensive reinforcements at, at Spurs before that can happen. He's a top-class goalkeeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. As you know, I'm a Leon fan, and he came in from Leon. He was a great, great keeper for them yeah I agree. I think his that that kind of I don't know period of uh inconsistency
0: has has gone past Hugo and he's he's back to his top form, so I think that's a good shout. Um, okay, Adam, so again, this is somewhat based off the Aaron Ramsdale research that I did today. <laughs> um, and this one is involving goalkeepers again. So in the last season of the Premier League, there were five players aged 36 or older that appeared in a match for a Premier League team. Mm-hmm. Now, four of those five players are goalkeepers, mm-hmm. and one of them is not. How many of those five players can you name for me?
1: Okay, Claudio Bravo's one. Very good. 36 and over. Mm-hmm. Oh, Goalkeepers. Scott Carson? No. Must be close. One of them got relegated. Oh, uh, Willie Caballero is another one. Yes. Um, one of them got relegated. No, it can't be Timothy cruel, right? No, it was not. Timothy cruel is not that old. (sighs) Okay. It's not Carson. It's not cruel. Why am I struggling with their keeper? <laughs> oh, jeez. His name rhymes with
0: Schmen Schmoster. Oh, Ben Foster. Very good. That's Very good. Okay. So you have three. Uh, the non-goalkeeper was a player who plied his trade for Sheffield United, I believe.
1: An outfield player over 36, a 36 over for Sheffield United. Whew. You got me there, man. I, I I don't know who that is. Wait, did he play for Sheffield United?
0: He did. It was Phil Jagielka. Interesting. Oh, I never would have guessed he was that old. Okay. Phil Jagielka is actually 38 now. And then the final player, Pepe Rena. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So definitely a trend of bald goalkeepers and then Ben Foster snuck in there as well. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, two more questions for you. Uh, So uh, keeping with the stats, uh, three Manchester City players finished in the top five players in the Premier League for pass completion percentage last season. David Silva. of Of the total passes they made, they completed that top Five highest percentage. Who were the three
1: Manchester City players? David Silva. Yep. See, I want to go Foden, but Foden didn't play as many games. But I guess it's percentage, right? So that wouldn't matter? Correct. I'll go with Foden. Okay. You can tell me whether that's right or not. <laughs> not until you guess all three. Okay. So Silva, Foden... Sterling, Adam, you you went zero
0: for three on that one. No. None of those players. Go um, for it. I'm I'm shocked that you didn't guess Kevin De Bruyne. Either. I thought
1: about De Bruyne, but I thought that was too obvious. So that's why I went with more obscure ones. Okay, and and
0: right, you are. Kevin De Bruyne is not in this list either. Oh. The three players were Rodri, who had the highest completion percentage of any player in the Premier wow. League. Wow. Okay. Rodri, Nicholas Odamendi. I'll get out of here. And Ilki Gundogan. Who in their right mind would have guessed those three players? I don't I, I maybe, a city, maybe a, yeah, city a, a city fan. Maybe a city fan. Yeah, so so yeah, none of none of those three were, were ones you might expect. Um, great question. But, great question. But, but but for my last question on that note, Kevin Bruyne, as I said, did not finish in the top five for pass completion percentage, despite having the most assists in the Premier League. How high on that list did Kevin De Bruyne finish? And I will give you 15 on either side. (laughs) Okay. One of the best passers of the ball in the world. You're you're making me doubt
1: myself now. So I'm gonna go with I'm trying, I'm trying. I'll go with 35.
0: Kevin De Breda had the 193rd highest wow. pass completion percentage in the Premier League last season, which wow. proves that even if you're arguably the best assist maker in the world, you're not that accurate with every single pass that you make. Can I ask what Bruno's was? Because Bruno came up hot on his heels at the end of Ooh. the season. I I do not have to listen for I'm any. not sure. I believe he was above
1: Kevin De one ninety-three mark. That's not hard to be. It's not shocking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. I uh, mm-hmm. I had a feeling that might be a trick question, which is why I didn't go with him. Still wouldn't have got the other three players. Yeah. so well played. Yeah, Rodri blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
0: uh, but yeah, yeah, good stuff. So that there marks the end of the fifty-first episode of the False Nines. Premier League season coming up in a week and a half Newcastle's first match uh going up against West
1: Ham Adam prediction what do you think Oh dear a loss I think we start the season with a loss I don't yeah. I don't know the score I don't think we'll get on the score sheet I think we lose
0: quickly on the route to to relegation by november so Mm uh we will we will see what happens uh and we will be back soon hopefully with a collab episode with the the lads from chn radio elijah and greg we've been in discussions transfer talks to to potentially do some crossover work so uh, excited to get that on the air
1: that'd be fun until next time zach footy footy